What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I am Carlos Colazzo, joined by Matt Eddy and Ben Badler. Today, we have a very special podcast. We released the Dynasty Hot 100, which is our guide to first-year player drafts. It's the second year that we've done this. Really excited to roll it out, although this year's list was a little bit more challenging to put together than last year's for a number of reasons. But Matt, Ben, how's it going? And I guess let's just dive into this. Uh, hi, Carlos. Um, yeah, <laughs> this one really presented a challenge. You know, last year we had performance data. We had in-person looks by scouts in games that counted. We didn't have any of that this year. So this was, I thought, a really good test of your expertise and Ben's on the international side to really add that layer of information that, you, you know, it's as our old slogan goes, it's uh, baseball news you can't get anywhere else. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's definitely true, especially on the on the international side. Like you know, with the draft picks, a lot of these guys signed over the summer, and we got new information on them from from the alternate site, from from instructional league. But you know, with international players, like you know, you compare it to uh, you know to the list we put out last year, and I, I think we were you know we're much more conservative on most international players this year because. You know, like last, you know, last year's list came out, you know, those players signed July 2nd, 2019, you know, and, and a lot of them hadn't really been seen for, uh, you know, or scouted in a competitive environment for a year, two plus years, because these players are agreeing to to sign well in advance of, of the actual signing date. But all right, they signed July 2nd. And then, you know, from, you know, July and August, you know, about half the teams are, are playing in tricky leagues. So that means they're playing in games, you know, two to four games a week from July to August. And then some teams start in September, some teams start in October. They have Dominican Instructional League, which is, is not like U.S. Instructional League. They're, you know, again, they're playing games two to four times a week from, you know, from September through November so it's it's a lot you know the teams have a lot more information on on players on on their own players at that point and and they just don't have that same level of information on on those guys this year obviously no tricky league no no instructional league and and players were banned from you know being in the in the academy up and up until right up until the signing date basically so um it's it, it definitely skews our list more heavily toward the the domestic draft picks this year just because you you want to you know maybe you want to you can speculate on on some of the international players a little bit later on and you know if, if we you know <laughs> do this uh you know a little bit later on once once these players are, are in the academies they'll probably move up uh the list so just have a little bit more confidence on on where they're at right now because a lot can can change with Mm -hmm. these these guys at such a young age but um but yeah definitely makes it a a a different challenge trying to put together the list this year compared to last year yeah really at every level we had we just have less information you mentioned the challenges of the international market even the drafted players they had less of a college season i guess this is more specific to the college players who you can typically take some more performance data from their college seasons they only had a few weeks add that on to no pro seasons and uh, it's much more challenging this year. Um, Like Ben was kind of mentioning there, we are planning on doing an update 
to this as we kind of get some more information on these players, particularly the international players. So you guys can look out for that in the future. But Matt, I wanted to kind of ask you about how you kind of view this list and how we um, how we feature specific skills for this list differently than we would a, a traditional prospects list because this obviously is geared toward fantasy. So what are some of the tweaks we maybe make or the uh, the profiles that we maybe prefer more in a list like this as opposed to a real world prospect list? Yeah, this with this particular version, we were lucky. We were fortunate to have Spencer Torkelson, who is a clear-cut number one prospect. I think he would be in the consideration pretty much in any any one of these exercises. I think he's that good. Um, but in general, like in the long term, you're trying to capture playing time from players, position players, who hopefully will bat toward the top of the order with some of the networking effects of a strong uh, unit around them, like like the Dodgers, for instance. You, you want to try to get as many Dodgers as you can now just because the lineup is so strong. So you mm -hmm. get bonus runs and bonus RBIs opportunities. Um, and then with the, the pitchers, you know, the attrition rate being what it is, you're really looking for those standout skills to elevate them toward the top of a rotation or toward the back of a bullpen. You know, mm -hmm. there's leagues that have holds, um, saves are valuable in pretty much every format. So, I mean, those are kind of the big things we're looking for. If you can, if a player projects to have any kind of stolen base acumen, double digit steals are always helpful regardless mm -hmm. of format. Um, so those are some of the things like in, you know, I don't know how you guys felt, but I had a really hard time where to direct the list after Torkelson who <laughs> has that you know, 30 home run potential, but then where do you go next? Like if you were having that second pick, what do you think? Yeah, for me, I, th I think it's probably an easier call for me than you guys, just cause I've consistently been the high man on Austin Martin. I really buy into his hit tool, his track record, the SEC really gives me a lot of confidence that it's going to play at the next level. Um, we just have really loud tools on his, his hit tool, his plate discipline, his approach to the plate. So I'm personally very high on him and have always been high. Um, but I can see people having questions about him. You obviously don't have uh, the power profile that Torkelson carries. You can have questions about defensive positions, which could affect how he plays in a fantasy format. You obviously want uh, your elite hitters to profile at premium defensive positions. That makes them even more valuable. So there's are still some questions with him there. Um, but I think he's got a good chance to give you a really good bat, high average with some pop and with speed. So I'm high on him, uh, but I can definitely see how it's it's a little bit trickier after you get Torgelson out of the way. What about you, Ben? Yeah, I, I like Austin Martin quite a bit. I mean, he's a, a really well-rounded, multi-dimensional player who uh, I think has a chance to hit at the top of a lineup. Uh, and that's a pretty good Blue Jays lineup that I think he's going to be in in the not too, not too, not too uh, far future. So I think that's another bonus in, in his favor for this. And, I, you know, I, I don't know where he's going to play. I think he could play a lot of different positions. He, he might play shortstop. He might play third base. He might play second base. He might play center field. Uh, it just kind of depends on the construction of the Blue Jays lineup when, when he gets there. I think, you know, I like Bo Bichette. <laughs> um, but, you know, they have Jordan Groshans coming up. I think Martin could move faster and, and get there faster than Groshans. And, and Groshans is really – He's probably going to be a, a third baseman, you know, maybe a, a chance to, to stay at shortstop, but, but Groshans can't really go to center field. He doesn't have the speed for that. Whereas, you know, whereas Austin Martin does, um, you know, some throwing accuracy issues. But again, like we were talking about, even 
you know, the, the issue is really an abbreviated 2020 college season. You know, if, if he had had the opportunity to continue playing <laughs> the rest of the year, maybe, um, you know, obviously he, he moved around there, but, uh, you know, it, 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 things could have been different for, for him, obviously, if the, the season had gone on longer. But, yeah, I'll, I'll, everything you said, Carlos, I agree with just a really well-rounded player who can, uh, who can hit and who has a chance to, to steal a bunch of, base, a bunch of bases too. Yeah, and, and kind of just speaking of the players right after Spencer Torkelson, I'm kind of curious, Matt, how you see maybe the top 10 of this group or maybe the elite tier of this group. I guess it would be a second tier if you see Torkelson as his own tier to last year. Last year we had uh, a couple of really impressive shortstop prospects and C.J. Abrams and Bobby Witt Jr. at the top, and it was much more hitting heavy at the top. Our first pitcher didn't come until 13. Uh, that is in part because of a, a pretty weak college pitching class um, with the draft last year but this year we've got a couple pitchers in the top 10 we really don't have any locked in shortstop prospects uh, if you don't think Martin is going to play shortstop and if you're more skeptical of some of the international players sticking there as they kind of continue to physically progress but just how would you compare our 2021 list to our 2020 list in terms of maybe impact talent at the top yeah, I think last year's class was a cut above. Um, this one might offer a little more depth and a little more variety, you said, because you mentioned the pitchers. We didn't have a pitcher until 13 last year uh, when we had Nick Lodolo followed by George Kirby. Whereas this year we have in our top 14, we have you know four pitchers, including one who's already reached the majors, um, <laughs> Garrett Crochet of the White Sox. So, <laughs> um, so I think this one gives you a little bit of – little bit more variety accepting the shortstops as you mentioned you're not going to find any abrams or any wits in this group and how do you kind of balance the obviously last year we really had no pitchers even the, the first pitchers we talk about they kind of had more back of the rotation profiles this year we have a few guys who have middle or front of the rotation upside there's better pure stuff we have guys like max meyer who might have 270 pitches in his arsenal asa lacy who up a ton of strikeouts from the left side, left side and has pretty loud stuff overall. How do you kind of balance from a dynasty or from a fantasy perspective, balancing the upside of those pitchers and the attrition rate, like you mentioned? Is this a case of maybe capitalizing on some name value and then just um, using them in the trade market? Or are these some pitchers you would want to invest in for the long term? How do you kind of handle that from a dynasty manager standpoint? Yeah, I think in the case of Max Meyer and Asa Lacey, who are our the top two pitchers on our board this year. I think you can feel a lot better about their major league potential based on the quality of their pitches. You know, we didn't get to see them, you know, make that big junior junior year leap this year, unfortunately. Um, but everything we've, we've heard from instructs and in our reporting indicates that they are worth, worth the investment. Um, I would never advise anybody to shy away from trading a pitching prospect. If you can get, you can lock in some um, hitting value on, on your major league roster. That's, that's often a good strategy, uh, but these two are, I would have a, gr a much greater deal of um, much greater confidence in these two than anybody mm -hmm. in last year's class. Yeah, no doubt. No, it'll be interesting to see which kind of pitchers pan out. Obviously we have a lot of time for a lot of these guys. I think um, and we also have ETAs for these players. If you guys haven't checked out the list, you definitely should. Uh, so you can kind of get a feel for when you should expect some of these players to start making the major leagues, but uh, I kind of want to start diving into some specific players, either players you guys are are specifically high on, players who were especially difficult to rank, 
Um, I know one guy who is always difficult to rank, whether that's fantasy, whether that's real life prospects, whether that's draft, whether that's minor leagues for me is Garrett Mitchell. Um, he's just such a, a difficult guy to assess the risk profile he has combined with his pure tool set. It just makes it very complicated. I, I could see a case for Garrett Mitchell being in the top five on this list because of his speed and his raw power. And I could see a case where you didn't like him in the top 15. You wanted him out of that because there are real questions there. So I guess outside of Mitchell, or if you guys want to touch on Mitchell, who are some polarizing prospects or difficult prospects for you guys to, to kind of line up here as we went through this process? Yeah, Mitchell's, Mitchell's interesting just doing the Brewers list for us this year. It, uh, I mean, it, he probably has the – I don't know if you disagree, Carlos. He probably has the best just raw tools on, on this list. Mm-hmm. I would yeah, think so, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, top of the scale runner – um, you know, obviously, you know, the defense doesn't really matter in this format other than the fact that, you know, he'll stay in center field, but, um, you know, he does have, you know, pretty big power. It just, mm-hmm. the power doesn't show up in games and it's not that he's raw. I mean, like you look at his numbers at UCLA, it's not like, you know, like Zach Daniels is, <laughs> is pretty tooled up too, but like you look at his numbers outside of like, you know, you know, a, a very small sample in, in 2020, and it was, you know, pretty brutal. Garrett mm-hmm. Mitchell, you know, was a good college player. It's just that his swing, you know, it, it's kind of like a choppy, you know, swing to gear toward putting the ball on the ground and taking advantage of 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 his speed and of college defenses. And that's, you know, that can be a winning strategy at, at the college level, but as you get higher up, that's it's you know <laughs> you, you run into some more issues with that so I you know I think he's trying to you know he, he he's been trying to make some adjustments to that swing you know like we saw like Jaron Duran or it sounds like at least Jaron Duran has, has kind of made some you know some similar adjustments another you know really speedy uh you know college player who's who's now trying to hit the ball uh in the air more so can he can he make those adjustments? Uh, I don't know. I, people talk a lot about swing changes. And I just don't think it's that. <laughs> uh, it's not that simple to do, especially for, uh, you know, for somebody who's already, you know, as college experience, who's mm-hmm. that age already. But, you know, it, it can be done. So, um, you know, if, if he had, you know, struggled at UCLA, I'd, you know, I'd have even more reservations. But it's it's not like this is some, you know, just tooled up, you know, athlete who who can't, who doesn't have any baseball skills. He's actually performed. It's just, I think some of the, he's going to have to make some adjustments with his swing as he gets going against better pitching. Yeah, no doubt. He, he'll remain one of the more fascinating prospects moving forward and whatever sense you're talking about, whether that's fantasy or just real world value. But Matt, were there any guys who, who you thought were particularly difficult to rank or maybe just interesting from a lining them up on the board standpoint? Yeah, I mean, for me, the catchers are always mm-hmm. always present a challenge. Uh, and there's two two very good amateur catchers who we, we have ranked pretty good on our board here. Uh, both left-handed hitters who could move quickly if, if they move off of catcher. You know, you can see them in the big leagues on a pretty fast timeline. Um, and those two are uh, Tyler Soderstrom, uh, high school NorCal catcher, uh, who we have in the, in the 11 to 20 range. Like – his his aptitude seems to be pretty off the charts offensively. Uh, there, there remains reservations about his ability to catch. And if you're the A's, do you want to wait 
for him to for his glove to catch up in the minor leagues, or do you want to get his bat into your lineup? That's the question. If you believe that they will, you know, expedite his his development because his offense is so loud, you could you could potentially see him in you know four years. Um, the other catcher is Austin Wells of the Yankees, who is a very popular uh, dynasty target. You've got you know the left-handed power in Yankee Stadium. You know, the, you could speak more to the defensive questions with him, but he's he's enticing for a lot of people because of his offensive upside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really seems like in in this format, obviously, we talked about the defense isn't quite as important beyond just allowing you to play a premium position. Um, it'll be interesting to see if those two stick. I think the questions with with Austin Wells, even going back to his high school days, is just the caliber of his arm. Um, he had sh- shown a strong arm at times when he was healthy. He's dealt with some injuries there. Um, and it's been inconsistent since then. He needs work on receiving. Um, but I think the catcher defense is interesting to me just from a real-world perspective because the gap between the amateur evaluation and the pro results at catcher is probably the widest of any of the positions. It's it's very difficult to get a sense for. I mean, that position has so much to do with work ethic and want to um, in addition to the physical skills and the demands. Um, but, no, it is interesting. I think one thing to point out, too, is – is the gap between Patrick Bailey in a non-fantasy list and where he lands on this list. We have him fairly low, maybe lower than some people who are less familiar with fantasy. But, Matt, can you kind of explain just why Patrick Bailey falls so low on this list relative to catchers who went behind him in the draft? Yeah, I mean, the thinking with catchers in a dynasty format is that Number one, they don't have a ton of trade value because there is a high level of skepticism that they'll be able to reach the major leagues, be strong enough defensively to stay behind the plate and retain their catcher eligibility and also hit at a high enough level. Hmm. And if you're in a 15-team league, often it'll be one catcher. So therefore, you're taking the 15 best catchers in the major league baseball. Everybody else is on the wire. So generally there is a lot of surplus catching to be gotten at no cost. So rather than sink a draft pick into Patrick Bailey, who in five years might be catching a hundred games and he might not, you can just, you can just fish on the waiver wire to pick up um, a comparable player for that spot. Yep. No doubt. uh, You know, Soderstrom, the, the, to me, like, you know, of the group of guys, I, I thought he was the most interesting guy just hearing our, you know, the reports that we got from scouts who saw him at uh, Instructional League this year with the A's. It was, I mean, glowing is probably putting it mildly. Right? Like, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, like that's that's a tough thing, right? Like we were talking about it before, like, like C.J. Abrams, part of the reason we had him so high on our list last year was like, you know, we liked him a lot before the draft, but then he went out to the Arizona League and hit like, you know, 400 and like, you know, over pretty good, you know, not a huge sample, but a you know, pretty good sample size. Like I, I, I do think, you know, especially doing our Gulf Coast League list uh, every year, you know, I, I, there's definitely guys who who can change their evaluations for, you know, for good, like a C.J. Abrams or, you know, like a Keone Cavaco for, you know, the other way after they go out and sign and you're seeing them, you know, not just against high school pitchers, but, you know, against pro arms, swinging wood bats, um it uh, I think it can make a difference so you know we don't have that this year but you know they did play a, a decent amount of games at, at instructional league and it sounds like Tyler Soderstrom really really raked there um you know hitting and, and getting on base and um you know it's 
I, I, I am very wary of like high school catchers, but more so, especially like the defensive oriented guy who was, I think maybe where, where scouts fall in love with like, Oh man, like this guy's like a great catch and throw catcher. Like it's, you know, it's super fun to watch a, a really agile catcher who can take charge of a game and, and, you know, you know, one, nine pop times to, uh, you know, to second in, in games. And it's, it's fun to watch, but um, you know, with, with Soderstrom, I, I think, yeah, there's risk of him, you know, maybe moving off the position, but it's, it's kind of like a Will Myers vibe almost with him. I'm not saying they're like the same type of player, but you know, guys who, you know, were catchers who it's like, well, if, if he moves off the position, like his, that might just be good enough to, you know, to carry him elsewhere. Yeah. Another instructs performer who I'm really interested in moving forward is Evan Carter. We have him in the back half of this list. And I think he's the only drafted player who was not on the BA 500 who makes this list. Um, so just the difference in opinion between the Rangers and what we had at draft time and in terms of his draft value around the league is going to be really fascinating for me. Um, because Texas clearly liked what they saw in him before the draft. They signed him for $1.25 million, uh, and he performed pretty well in instructs. Um, he's a potential five-tool guy, power-speed combo in center field, um, and just kind of seeing how he performs in pro ball this year will be really interesting to me with Carter just to see if, one, if we missed on him and the Rangers knew something that everyone seemingly didn't know before the draft. So this is a guy who, who I feel like you you might be able to take advantage of in your dynasty leagues just – by taking advantage of the instructs information that we have in our scouting reports now on him, because he performed really well. Um, and I was surprised that he walked almost as many times as he struck out against instructs pitching, which uh, in my opinion is really impressive. I know Matt, you, you kind of liked Evan Carter based on all the feedback that we had from him. Uh, were there any other guys uh, kind of of this mold who maybe uh, have elevated their, their positions on this list because of information we have or any other players you want to touch on? Yeah, uh, one who comes to mind is uh, Cade Cavalli of mm -hmm. the Nationals, their first round pick in Oklahoma. Uh, great body, good delivery, um, wide repertoire. It sounds like he was pretty electric in instructional league as well. And had the season played out, had he continued to, to pitch well, he could have been uh, drafted a lot higher than he was. He'd be somebody I'd be looking out for. Yeah, no doubt. I'll just add on another pitcher, another college arm that I really like. And Matt, you probably might might be more familiar with him at this point than I am. Uh, it's JT Ginn with the Mets. Uh, I mean, before the season, before he got injured, we were talking about him as a potential top 10 pick. When healthy, he's shown a potential 70 fastball and a 70 slider with advanced command. Uh, so I really like Ginn as a bounce back candidate once he's healthy. I think the kind of luster of his stock has fallen a bit because of that injury. But I just want to restate that when he's on and he's healthy, he's pretty electric in all phases. I mean, this was a guy who was in similar conversations with Kumar Rocker, Ethan Hankins of the world out of high school. And then he went to college and really proved it in a starting role in the SEC in the one full season that he got. And the command really was more impressive than a lot of people thought. He had some reliever questions coming out of high school because he was a reliever for his high school team for whatever reason, uh, but really showed he had the ability to start at the collegiate level. Now getting that chance in pro ball when healthy is going to be really interesting. Um, but Ben, so unless you have agree. a, he's, he's, yeah. he's got, I'm sorry. He's, he's just to, to piggyback on that, you know, he's mm -hmm. a potential three pitch right-hander with like incredible work ethic and kind of a, a mean streak. So I, I also harbor high expectations for him. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the two, I mean, the two guys for me who I probably like a little bit more than where they are. I mean, they're, you know, not low on the list by any means, but like, um, you know, Pete Crow Armstrong uh, is, is one guy where, you know, like, I don't know, like, you know, oh, I kind of do know Carlos, but like, you know, like there's this like group of high school outfielders in, in that class that are just like, you know, really good <laughs> uh, between Zach Veen, Robert Hassel, Austin Hendrick, and Pete Crow Armstrong. And like, you know, going into the draft, it seems like, you know, the debate was like, like, like oh, like, I wonder who's going to go first. Like, is it going to be Hendrick or is it going to be Zach Veen or is it going to be Robert Hassel? And then Pete Crow Armstrong kind of seemed like he was like being considered just kind of like just on the outskirts of there. But to me, I, you know, I, I like him just as much if, if not more than some of those guys, I think he belongs in that group. I think he's uh, you know, obviously an elite, you know, defensive center fielder. Obviously the defense doesn't matter so much in this format, but like, you know, what I, the first time I saw him, what I really liked about him was, was just his bat. I, I thought he, had a pretty good, you know, feel for, for the barrel, for, for hitting to all fields. Um, I, I, you know, and, and with his, you know, plus plus speed, I think he's got the, you know, a, a profile to be a, you know, a table setter top of the order type guy who can, who can hit and, and who can steal a bunch of bases. Um, and, and then Ed Howard, I, I like to another guy where, you know, I, you know, we talk a lot about his, you know, his defense at, uh, at shortstop, but I actually liked his actions in in the batter's box. Now maybe some more, you know, risk just you know with with less track record on him uh, offensively. But I actually saw some you know some attributes there for him to you know develop develop into a into a pretty good hitter. Obviously the you know the pandemic makes it uh, you know a trickier evaluation than usual. But those are two of the high school guys who uh, I probably like more than a little bit more than most guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pete Crow Armstrong is fun, too, because if you're a risk-averse drafter, I think he's the safest high school player that we have on this list. I think he's the only high school player we have with a very high risk rather than extreme. So if that's kind of your MO in drafts, he would be an interesting way for you to kind of stick around with the high school players. I do think his his supplemental tools and just his instincts and overall polish give him a pretty high floor. Um, next, I kind of wanted to turn to the international class, Ben, and there's obviously no one better suited to talk about these players than you. Last year, it seemed like we had maybe a little bit better impact at the top of this list with Jason Dominguez getting in the top five. Obviously, his tools are otherworldly. Uh, how do you view this international class this year? There's obviously a couple shortstops at the top who are the most interesting, but what's your kind of sense of where that group is now, um, and, and how do you like them moving forward? Yeah, I mean, the, the truth is, like, we just don't know yet. And that's partly because, like, the teams themselves who, like, are signing these players don't fully know yet in, in a lot of cases. Like, you know, the teams have been – you know, at this point they've had them – you know, some clubs have had these players, their signings in their academy for a little bit. And, you know, but they're still – they're not, like, playing games yet. Uh, they're just kind of, like, getting them acclimated to a, a pro routine and, you know, getting them fed and strength and conditioning kind of stuff like, you know, orientation basically <laughs> type type stuff for, for the most part, uh, you know, and they may have been going out to, you know, if kid is in San Pedro, like, uh, you know, like I'm sure, you know, clubs, you know, they've been going out to like a field where, you know, where a kid trains to, to see him, but it's, you know, you're just getting a sense for like, you know, his BP swing, which is not necessarily the same as a game swing, um, you know, <laughs> Uh, that kind of stuff. So like, you know, even, even some of the, 
you know, just like the raw tools, like, you know, what, how hard does a guy, not that we're, you know, drafting pitchers really in, in this format at 16, 17 years old, but like, you know, how hard is a guy throw right now? Like teams a lot of times just don't know, or, or what is a guy's run grade? Like, you know, like Hedbert Perez is a, a good example of a guy who like early on was, you know, running, you know, like a seven and a half or so uh, in, in the 60. And, and then, you know, has, you know, improved his, his run grade over time, you know, two, three full grades. So, um, so it's, it's tricky, obviously, look, there were, there were some guys like, you know, Christian Hernandez is an obvious guy, like him and Carlos Coleman are, are two guys who, you know, really, you know, really, really stood out from, from a young age and, you know, the reports on them continue to be really strong, but uh, you know, and there's some other guys who I think you can see kind of uh, you know, separate themselves that, you know, we, we feel more, more confident in, but you know, the reality is just like, you know, look, I, I love the international players and uh, you know, it's, it's just different than, than it was last year. I think at this point you're, you're just speculating more on on them um, at this point until we get um, you know better real reports on on where these guys are are at right now. Matt, from your perspective, how would you kind of handle the the risks and the overall uncertainty of the international class if you're going through a draft? Yeah, I think uh, the players who rise to the to the highest ceiling level, um, you know, you might. If you throw a dart at one of those guys, you might hit a Wander Franco or Julio Rodriguez. Uh, I think the ceiling has to be high enough to justify drafting them in, you know, like five to eight round types of drafts. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, deep deeper formats, you can be a little more liberal with those picks. But and what we're seeing is that the top three shortstops in this year's class are are really well liked by um, dynasty drafters. That, that would be Christian Hernandez, Wilman Diaz, Carlos Colmenares. Awesome. Well, we're going to take some time right now to go to a quick break. Uh, after that, we'll be back to talk about some more players and the list. Thanks for listening. And welcome back, everybody. Um, still a few things to get through here. We have not touched on high school pitching at all. That is a very risky demographic in the draft. It's also a risky demographic for fantasy purposes. It's a lot of projecting, a lot of patience necessary, but the upside could be pretty big. Uh, let's jump into the high school pitching class. I guess, Ben, what are your thoughts in general on the high school arms we have on this list? Are there any that you're really excited by? Are there any you like more than where we have them ranked? I guess Mick Abel would be the top guy. I personally love him. Uh, just curious, what do you think about the overall class of the high school arms we have here? Yeah, I would say in general, I, I see a lot of guys who I would avoid. <laughs> guys with some red flagging, you know, we've seen – Tyler Kolick and Riley Pint and Cole Stewart and you know like you have oh you know Mark you know there's there's guys who can you know not you know develop <laughs> into uh, you know good players who are um, you know at all 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 types of demographics but but obviously high school pitching uh, is a particularly risky one so there's there's certainly some guys who I would uh, steer clear of but like that said you know, if you're going to draw up a high school pitcher, like Mick Abel has uh, just about everything you, you would try to check off for, for a high school pitcher. Uh, it seems like just really good size, fastball, feel for a secondary stuff, mechanics, pretty good control. It's, it sounds like uh, for his age. So, you know, if, 
if you're going to take a high school pitcher, you know, that would be the guy I would, I would bet on, but I would, you know, I would think he'll probably go earlier than I would be comfortable Hmm. taking him. So, you know, there are a couple guys later on, I think who, who I like if, if, you know, if they're, if they're available deeper into the draft, uh, Mason Wynn, uh, for with the Cardinals, uh, you know, a two-way player. I, I like him a lot. And, and Alex Santos, I think has a lot of good traits to, to be a starter. The Astros have been, you know, squeezing extra velocity out of just about all of their pitchers. And I think he has really good projection indicators for him to do that as he, as he gets stronger and, and, and the, and the attributes to, to remain a starter. So, as, as much risk as I see in, in, you know, high school right-handed pitching, especially those are, you know, after able, those are, those are two guys who, um, you know, if, if I was going to, you know, roll the dice on a little bit later, who I'd, who I'd, uh, who I'd like to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the other top right-handed pitcher in this past class from the high school demographic is Jared Kelly. And I think he is kind of that, that red flag now that you think of when you think of high school arms, who have busted you mentioned a couple of the names and he's going to be interesting for me to watch because he he did throw really hard as an amateur uh he did not have great feel for spin i think those would be two immediate kind of red flags that pop up at you and you kind of wonder um how they're going to pan out moving forward but what i always come back to with kelly and maybe this is just me not seeing those previous guys that you mentioned in person like i did with kelly but the ease with which he got to his velocity and how advanced his command was, how great feel he had for his changeup at a young age, really makes me wonder if he can kind of be the exception to this rule. I'm sure everyone who who's ever drafted a high school righty who throws really hard thinks that of the player they took, that, that he's going to be the outlier or the exception. Um, so he's going to be an interesting one to follow. Uh, and while we only have a couple high school pitchers on this list because of the risk that, come, that comes with it, we do have one high school left-hander who is interesting in Kyle Harrison. Matt, I think this is a guy that you previously have liked or maybe uh, just been really encouraged by the reporting that we got over the summer. How would you kind of assess Harrison and maybe the differences between left-handers and right-handers uh, from that demographic? Yeah, Harrison is the one I would target if I were looking for a high school pitcher. Um, you could probably get him later. That's one advantage of taking him. If you have extra picks, you know, if you traded for some extra picks and you want to take a shot on somebody he'd be the one you know and and for whatever reason we have found that um, high school left-handers tend to be better bets than right-handers it's hard to pinpoint exactly why they tend to develop faster be less injury prone and more successful relative to draft position than right-handed counterparts Um, we have seen some successes of late like Mike Soroka uh, Jack Flaherty some of these high school right-handers have kind of defied and beaten the odds but for the most part, you know, you're going to, if you were going to throw a dart at a high school pitcher, it'd probably be a left-hander and Harrison would be a good one based on his um, starter traits, uh, breaking ball, uh, velocity uptick. Yeah, no doubt. And I think those were, I think we actually mentioned all the high school pitchers that we had on this list. So with that put to bed, I think it would be kind of fun to talk through some maybe sleepers in the back half of the list or just guys that you personally like uh, and would maybe vouch for, for players who are getting deeper into their drafts and uh, maybe don't really know what direction they want to head. Any players that you guys would want to point to or make a case for, or maybe just even talk about in the 50 to hundred range. Um, ben, I guess you can kick it off. Yeah. I, I really like the angels drafting David Calabrese. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, super young for, for his class. And I, I think that's a point in, in his favor, uh, elite runner in center field. Uh, and I think he's, you know, got the skills to, you know, to make contact at a pretty good rate. I don't think he's ever going to hit for much power. Now, you know, look, we, <laughs> we're all, we can be surprised uh, by that sometimes where, uh, I, you know, I don't, I look at his frame, not just that he's not that tall, but, but just the kind of the way he's built, I don't expect mm. him to hit for a lot of power, but um, you know, guys who make a lot of contact sometimes kind of defy those odds. And then some of it obviously depends on what baseballs are using and, and all that. But um, you know, I, I see a, a center fielder who, who I think has a, you know, a, a chance to hit and, and really high level impact type speed, uh, even if it's, you know, it's not going to be big power, but the, the ability to play a premium position uh, to hit and, and the speed he has along with being one of the younger players in the class. Um, you know, I, I really like that pick by, by the angels where they got him. I, I think he's got a, you know, a chance to offer a lot of value too in, in this format. Yeah, so if your type is speedy high school hitters with with good hit tools, I guess my type for this conversation is injured players uh, because the guy I wanted to point to is Freddie Zamora, uh, the shortstop out of Miami that the Brewers drafted. They gave him just over $1 million. Um, But he's interesting to me for a number of reasons. One, because the shortstop class this year isn't great. Um, but I do like the upside that Zamora offers. I think he's got a chance to be a plus defender at the position. Uh, so maybe he'll be locked in there to give you value of being a shortstop. But he had a pretty good bat at Miami when he was healthy. He didn't get to play any in the 2020 season. Uh, but I really think he has kind of solid average tools across the board after his defense, which, which I think has a chance to be plus. If he can give you a solid average, good approach at the plate, a little bit of speed, a little bit of pop, uh, I feel like that kind of all-around tool set as a shortstop could wind up being pretty valuable. And I think he is a guy who, again, if he didn't get hurt, he had a chance to go in the first round. So I think kind of where his stock is generally with people is a little bit lower than I think his overall tool set and college projection should have him. So he would be a guy that, that I would look out for in this range. Yeah. Um, you talk about like a, <laughs> the, the ultimate, like wild card X factor, you know, lack of information on players, like at least the other guys, you know, we're talking about like the college players either played a little bit of college this year or college baseball in 2020 or played some, you know, alternate site instructionally, like he, he had his whole season wiped out and he yeah. just, he finished his rehab like right at the end of instructional leagues. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, definitely banking on, like, like you said, you know, mm-hmm. being a pretty good player uh, in, in 2019 and then just, you know, hoping for some value there where he, um, you know, just nobody got a chance to, to see him last mm-hmm. year. Yeah. Matt, is there any guy that maybe jumps out to you or that, that you want to touch on in this range? Yeah. Uh, for me, I would, I would single out, um, Clayton Beater, uh, the right-hander drafted by the Dodgers out of Texas Tech, second-round supplemental. Um, we were talking off-air a little bit. He's got some of those pitch attributes the teams really love now. Um, fastball would ride in a high uh, curveball. He can locate down. And he's, he seemed to make strides in his strike-throwing ability. He's always had swing and miss stuff. I think if he picks up a third pitch, I think he's in the right organization to maximize his development. I think he could be um, a lot better than than um, like these pre-draft rankings would indicate. Yeah, I think that last point you mentioned is a good one to maybe sign off here. How, how much stock do you personally put into 
um, farm systems and just organizations track of development and how much do you think people generally should for these sorts of drafts? Me personally, quite a bit. I think there's, when you have a track record like the Dodgers have, I think mm. that, um, I think that counts for a lot when, when we're talking about developing 18 to 22 year olds into major leaguers. Awesome. Well guys, uh, unless you have any parting thoughts or any comments you want to make before we get out of here, I think, this was a pretty fun way to kind of break down the list and maybe give some people a little bit more information on these first year players for fantasy purposes. Again, if you guys have not checked out the list, be sure to check that out. It's at baseballamerica.com right now. We're going to have an update at some point in the future to give you even more up-to-date information and maybe um, some more clarity on a few of these players who have a bit more question marks uh, than they would in a typical year. Um, but for Matt and for Ben, I'm Carlos. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.